Welcome everybody to the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association's Facebook page and podcast, Tales from the Heart. Today, I am really excited because we are bringing our 43rd HCMA Recognized Center of Excellence program to existence. So welcome to Vanderbilt and to the Monroe, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this wrong, Monroe Carroll Children's Hospital Partners, um, where we have just begun our formal relationship, although we've been working on this for what seems a very long time, thank you, COVID, to get this to reality. So welcome to Doctors Godown from the pediatric side and Dr. Stevenson and Brinkley from the adult side. Welcome. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Great to have you here. So the Center of Excellence process was a little unusual for you guys. You were our first virtual site visit. Um, I have been to your campus before a number of years ago. So we met you all via camera. It was a very busy day and a lot of Zoom meetings. Um, and then your application is literally sitting right here with me and our board was pleased to approve it. So welcome to the program. Welcome to the community in a different way. We know that you have all had a long history of service in the cardiology field and to this population, but now we're formalizing our, our partnership. So I'm going to start and I'm going to go in the following order. I'm going to go to Marshall, then I'm going to go to Lynn, then I'm going to go to Justin on this question. Why HCM? What made you choose to focus a good part of your career on hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Marshall. Thank you, Lisa. Um, so when I went through the training process, I trained primarily in heart failure and transplantation. Um, and when I came here to Vanderbilt in 2016, that was what I was primarily doing. Um, I remember one day I saw a patient in clinic who came in with shortness of breath. He was a young man. Previously, he could bike for miles, jog. And over the past year, he couldn't even play with his children like he used to be able to. Um, he, we diagnosed him with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And despite medications, he still was symptomatic. So he ended up undergoing a myectomy and was able to return to all those activities. And he actually um, had a son who we referred for screening as well and who thankfully um, screened negative. Um, that's an ongoing process. Um, he, we did genetic testing, who's negative. But I just remember seeing how the impact of treating this, which as you have championed is the most common inherited heart disease, um, how it can make a difference and how there are many patients like him who are out there who have not been diagnosed um, and who need to be seen and screened and hopefully prevented from having these sorts of limiting symptoms. Well, I appreciate both sides of your work as a transplant patient. I know how important that part of the pathway is but we try to avoid it when all possible with HCM. Lynn, what inspired you to get involved in HCM care? Well, Lisa, um, I've been taking care of people with cardiomyopathy for over 35 years now. And this started, um, I was the first trans heart transplant cardiologist in Southern California. We, shortly after we did our first transplant, I was looking at the numbers of people who were showing up for evaluation. I realized, you know, we're never going to have enough hearts for everyone who comes. And so uh, we started the UCLA Cardiomyopathy Center at that time. Um, and then I later joined the faculty at Harvard Medical School. 
And there I ran the heart failure program, but I became really interested in HCM. The Seidman Research Group uh, was at Harvard. And as you know, they had discovered how the abnormal genes cause hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So the connection was fascinating to me between the patient and the genes. I was fascinated how different patients can be with the same gene that's affected. Um, so I was recruited here four years ago to be director of cardiomyopathy at Vanderbilt. And um, Vanderbilt is a leader in personalized medicine, which is my passion to try to understand each patient, not only their disease, but their health, their lives, their dreams. And we are in this opening of a new era of therapies based on genes. And Vanderbilt was the perfect place to be because we have so much emphasis on translating from the laboratory of genetic expression into what patients look like. Um, and so we're beginning to you know, actually be able to translate therapies uh, specifically for these cardiomyopathies. That's fascinating. Now, Justin, you're on the pediatric side. So what, what led you to pediatric or cardiology and HCM? So thank you, Lisa. Um, when I think about my journey into kind of the realm of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, um, I, like Marshall, I think it goes back to kind of my training. Um, I had a mentor during fellowship, Mark Russell, who was really a leader in pediatric hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And I happened to be placed in his clinic. And really what led me to pursue this is that you take care of the whole family. And I think it was the patients and their families that really drew me into it, where you can take care of you know, a brand new baby or a child with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and then watch as they go through adolescence. And then, you know, the, the parents have lived through this also and, and they know ex kind of exactly what you're talking about. So I, I think a disease process that encompasses the whole family, you know, even across generations, um, I think was very appealing to me. And I really enjoy working with the families. Mark's a great guy. And goes without saying that the Seidman Laboratory has given so many wonderful advances to the HCM community. So I can obviously see why that was inspiring, Lynn. So I want our viewers uh, to learn a little bit about the programming here um, and the rest of the people on the team, because we know an HCM team is pretty big. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts here and we need to have a lot of resources available. So I think Marshall has a slide he's gonna share with us about some of the faculty and we'll talk through some of those individuals and what their role in the program actually will be. So Marshall, you're welcome to share your screen. And those of you who are viewing, if you, oh, well, there you go. Uh, we have a screen share here. If you're watching or if you're listening on a podcast, you can come to Facebook or YouTube to look at the actual images. Go ahead. So I'm Marshall Brinkley, the director of the HTM program. Um, you've also met Dr. Lynn Stevenson, the co-director and director of the cardiomyopathy, the larger cardiomyopathy program here at Vanderbilt. We have Dr. Quinn Wells. Um, he's an expert on inherited heart disease, including HCM, but also things that may look like HCM. Um, and has a lot of research expertise on those disorders. Um, Dr. Ashish Shah is the chief of cardiac surgery. Um, he's a transplant surgeon and also uh, does myectomies um, here at Vanderbilt. Um, Dr. Rob Piana, he's a structural interventionalist, um, a cardiologist. Um, he does heart catheterizations, and including a lot of specialized catheterizations for um, adults with congenital heart disease, 
and he does uh, alcohol supplement ablations here. Um, we have Dr. Holly Gonzalez. Um, she's a champion for echocardiography, both rest and stress echo, and is our go-to person for um, looking at echoes. Um, Dr. Sean Hughes um, is cardiac magnetic resonance imaging um, and great resource for examining cardiac MRIs to look at structure and function. And that's also very helpful in planning uh, interventions um, and risk stratifying for sudden death. Our nurse navigator, Teresa Strickland, uh, she's been in the electrophysiology world for over 20 years um, and has a lot of experience with genetic testing. Um, and so she's our nurse navigator for patients in clinic. Um, to ensure that people are on track, that um, we have follow-up and everything's been done that we have planned in clinic um, and as a resource for patients as well. And we have Dr. Rebecca Hum. Um, she does a number of outreach clinics for heart failure and is also um, the leader of our cardiac amyloidosis program, which as you know, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, amyloidosis sometimes get confused. And so it's great that um, any patients um, who have amyloidosis have access to all the current trials um, and treatments. Dr. Mark Wigger, um, he's a, our outreach representative. He's led outreach in cardiology and heart failure within Tennessee outside of the main campus here on Vanderbilt. Um, and uh, is a resource for patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy who may not be able to travel all the way to, to Nashville. Um, Dr. Jay Montgomery is electrophysiologist. Um, he helps us with risk stratification for sudden death or implanting defibrillators, both subcutaneous um, and um, standard defibrillators. Dr. Greg Michaud, also electrophysiologist with um, renown in atrial fibrillation, which as you, may, as you know, that's a very common and difficult to deal with problem for patients with HCM. Absolutely. Um, he does atrial fibrillation ablations and other procedures. And of course, Dr. Justin Godown, who's on the call with us today um, for pediatric cardiology and cardiomyopathy, um, he directs that program. We'll hear more from him later. Um, Dr. Frank Fish, a pediatric electrophysiologist. Um, and I'll point out that the Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt is one of the few children's hospitals that has pediatric electrophysiologists to do procedures for children with HCM and other rhythm disorders. And Mary Sharp is our um, patient services representative. So um, she's the one that patients will ultimately talk to to help plan their visits and um, schedule things. And I want to give a shout out to Mary now because that sometimes is one of the more complicated things, just getting in and getting all the records there and getting to that appointment. So thank you to Mary. Um, the team is large and well-skilled, and you have an amazing amount of resources available at Vanderbilt with high-quality imaging and good technology that's up to date. So those are all really important issues. Um, Justin, is there anything you want to tell us about the pediatric program and the team over there, other members of the team that you might be using? Sure. So uh, Marshall uh, listed myself as well as Dr. Fish. Um, but there are, are various other members that really make the program function. 
Um, there is uh, one other cardiologist who primarily sees hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, so Dr. Burrell. Um, in addition to that, we have advanced imaging on the pediatric side. Um, so Dr. Soslow, Dr. Para, and Dr. Chu are all experts in cardiac MRI, and they really help us out with uh, the studies on pediatric patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, and then there are a few other uh, pediatric um, electrophysiologists uh, who help us with the heart rhythm disorders. Um, and then add on top of that, um, you know, social work, we have a nurse in clinic. And so there's a lot of different resources and a lot of different moving parts. I think the key here is it's a team, right? There's, you don't have to rely only upon your own resources, knowledge, skills, ability. You have other specialists on the team that you can call in when needed. And I think it's really amazing that you have such a strong PEDS program as well as strong adult program. And that's, that's going to be one of your you know, big differences and that's going to help patients and families get continuity of care. Lynn, I'm gonna call you in on just the team aspect. Um, you, you do more than just HCM because you're all cardiomyopathies. Um, how does the team function together? Do you meet weekly, quarterly? How do you meet for team meetings and discuss patient care as those complicated cases come up? Um, well, we have a Wednesday morning meeting where we go through the imaging. We have our imaging people show up, our cath people, our surgeons show up, um, and often we'll have pediatric as well as adult um, because we've learned so much from our pediatric colleagues. And so we have that meeting on Wednesday mornings. Um, and the other thing that, that, that's very nice for the adult group anyway, is that we're all pretty closely located. We're not separated off in different buildings. We're all on the same floor uh, and many of us are on the same hall. So there's a lot of really good clinical care that you know, um, happens by the coffee machine um, as well as our formal meetings. Yeah, those hallway conversations can be more impactful than a two-hour meeting sometimes. So it's, it's really nice that you have a good structure to facilitate good communication. So, I also want to say, actually, one of the really nice things as well um, is that we see Justin often, and uh, we also see uh, Dr. Fish quite often. He actually sees people that he has followed over from, from childhood into adulthood in the adult clinic. So I know what day his clinic is, and I often know where to stop by um, if I have a patient in some, um, who, who's complicated. So I, I will pause for our listeners um, to just explain that pediatric electrophysiology is a very small subspecialty population of individuals. I don't know what the actual number is now, but there aren't very many of them in, in the world. Uh, so to have more than one pediatric electrophysiologist is really a, uh, a testament to the strength of the program and, and forward thinking uh, because there, there are ways to treat children with arrhythmias that some programs just do not have access to. So props on that one. I wanna pivot for a moment and I'm, I'm gonna bring Justin in here early because he does have a patient who's having an echocardiogram right now and he may have to run and go you know be a doctor. So uh, we don't wanna hold him up on uh, this if we have to. If we, we can get rid of it, get him back to the clinic faster. My brain is moving faster than my mouth today. Sorry. Um, I want to talk about research. I want to start talk about what areas of research you personally are interested in, as well as the rest of your colleagues. So tell us what's going on in pediatric HCM research. 
Sure. So um, the aspect of pediatric HCM research that we're currently um, most active in is actually a collaboration um, through something called Primacy. And it's a, a study that is coordinated out of the group in Toronto. And really, um, at this point, we're trying to identify, you know, the patients at the highest risk of a sudden event. Um, so there are HCM guidelines for adults, and we can understand, you know, which adults are at higher risk for a sudden cardiac death event and which adults might require a defibrillator placed. Um, the equation changes in pediatrics. A, the, the patients are smaller. And so the thought of putting a defibrillator in, you know, the risk benefit uh, can shift a little bit. Um, and so really identifying, you know, what pediatric specific criteria should prompt us to consider placing a device uh, preemptively um, is really a critical question in our field. And so that's really the thing that uh, we're most active in at this point. So as a mom of a child with HCM who was implanted with a defibrillator at age 10, <clears throat> she's not a kid anymore, she's 26, um, to have better guidance when to do that. Um, was something that I was lacking 16 years ago. So I applaud the effort to get better data so that moms can sleep at night, not worrying, and kids can be safe and have a chance of a wonderful future. So thank you for that research. It is critically important to our population. So thank you. Um, I'm gonna move over to uh, Marshall for some input on what's going on in research in the areas of adults with HCM. Absolutely. Um, my interest is primarily in clinical research for new therapies for HCM. As you know, there's some investigational therapies out there that decrease the force of contraction in the heart and so can potentially help patients with obstructive HCM. You know, a lot of the therapies um, may not be well tolerated, especially by younger people, things like the beta blockers, um, calcium channel blockers, blood pressure could be an issue with those and other symptoms. So it's good that there are some investigational therapies out there that have very promising data. Um, so we're pleased to be a, a part of um, some of those clinical trials and uh, look forward to, to offering those if they do end up being approved. I have a strong thought on that. And I think we are going to have some new tools in the toolbox soon, but we have to wait for the almighty FDA to say yay. So we'll see That's how right. and, and, and then we have the challenge to get it to the kids, which I don't want that to be too delayed. Once we have something that we feel is going to be promising, we really do need to make sure that it's available to the youngest ones as soon as possible. Lynn, tell us a little bit about your research interests. Well, first of all, I want to say Dr. Brinkley is, is very humble. And I want to also emphasize that he has a particular interest in um, preventing and treating what we call bokum. Uh, the uncommon progression to burned out hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, and as you know, that may need a heart transplant. Uh, we certainly try to prevent that. On the other hand, I, I do want to point out that uh, Vanderbilt has the largest transplant program in the country, with over 120 transplants last year. Uh, and when that is the choice that we have to take, as, as you did, Lisa, it's really wonderful to have a program that's this strong and to be able to see our HCM transplant patients doing so well with their new heart. Um, in terms of the therapies that we're talking about, we're also gonna be um, offering one of the first targeted therapies for arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy. 
uh, within this calendar year, which we're very excited about. Um, I'm particularly interested in how the heart rhythms and the thick heart muscle of HCM, how they interact and how sometimes patients present first with the arrhythmias and the HCM may not be recognized where, where they first showed up. And I'm uh, also quite interested in those patients who have the HCM gene, but in fact, their heart looks very different. It looks like, like some other kind of cardiomyopathy. Uh, with Dr. Wells, we're building our databases to track patients uh, for the gene expression, the exercise performance and images of their heart, because um, we think it's so important to be able to predict where they're heading and hopefully improve those futures. And certainly at Vanderbilt, we collaborate very closely with our Vanderbilt Genetics Institute. And we learn from them and they learn from us about how what happens in the lab translates to patients that we see. And we learn a lot as well from families about what genes they should be studying in the lab. So it's a very fruitful interaction. And Lisa, if I may add to that, please. Um, you know, when you were here, you met Dr. Roden. And he's been a leader in precision medicine for many years here and you know, pioneered some of the, the biobanking that's been done at Vanderbilt, one of the largest repositories of de-identified DNA, so no patient information um, is available. But um, that's been a source of a lot of discovery um, in the genetics world and precision medicine, customizing therapies for patients. And so as part of that, one piece is um, an interest to expand genetic testing to identify undiagnosed people. Um, really, HCM is one of those with a lot of undiagnosed people out there worldwide. Um, and so thinking about ways in which we can offer genetic testing um, to more patients um, who are flying under the radar, but uh, who have disease. And, and going along with that, I think um, uh, that's part of that is that we're actually doing in-house genetic testing as of July this year. Uh, which we're very excited about. It gives us much more control over when those tests are done and, and how we use the results. Uh, so we're very excited about that as a real step forward. Now, how does that work for in-house genetic testing? Is that covered by insurance? Is it under a research protocol? Um, it's covered by insurance. Um, and, you know, there is some copay as insurance often has for patients, but, but um, it's a CLIA-approved laboratory. So this is not a research funding. This is, this is clinically paid for the same way as you would order you know, any other chemistry panel. Can you define for our listeners what CLIA is? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that's the agency that says that the results that you generate in your laboratory uh, are approved and they're of a high standard that is um, reliable. So many centers do genetic testing just in their research labs and it gets then to be quite a difficult issue. If you find a result in your research data, it's not really clinically actionable uh, technically because it has to go through another step to be performed and confirmed by a laboratory that is CLIA approved. Thank you for the definition. I, I, I get yelled at sometimes when we use acronyms and we don't define them in these podcasts and whatnot. So it, it's an education opportunity for the patients as well. And so, even patients who don't have insurance coverage, um, Vanderbilt will guarantee um, an out-of-pocket maximum payment. So providing um, reduced cost access for patients whose insurance plans don't cover genetic testing. 
I am really happy to hear that. And thankfully, I think genetic uh, insurance companies are coming online with understanding the value of genetics. And we're really excited to be on the precipice of maybe actually having some genetic therapies in HCM in the not too distant future. So um, if I just made a bunch of people kind of turn back and look at their podcast and go, what did she just say? Yes, we are now starting the work to genetically maybe fix HCM someday in the future. So stay tuned for a lot of information coming to you next year from us on that. And those are exciting advances and can only be made with really robust personalized medicine programs that are using genetic data with clinicians and working hand in hand. So I have a feeling that you guys might get a little involved in those types of projects in the future, but that's just, you know, a thought. Okay, so I want to um, thank you guys for joining us today. We don't have a lot of questions at this point, but if anybody would like to post a question, we are more than happy to address them live. Just as a reminder and a, a timestamp here, because I typically do that at the top of the hour and I forgot to, it is 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on October 8th. So if you're watching this later and you post a question and we didn't answer you, it's because we're not really here. We're off doing something else. So um, oh, we do have somebody posting it. Nope, sorry. That was just Ross posting your new directory listing on the HCMA website. So that is an important point to bring up to people. How do they get to you? All of your contact information is available on our website now in the HCMA directory. Um, the pediatric directory will be up hopefully by Monday. We just, we were a little slow on that one. We, we have been a little bit busy here. So sorry about that. Um, so what, uh, is there any other comments or topics anybody wants to talk about? Linda, I think you had wanted to tell us about the three pillars at Vanderbilt. Right, well, um, the HCM, as you've heard, is a central part of our overall cardiomyopathy program. And we really see that as built on three sturdy pillars. The first one and most important one is to personalize the best care for affected patients and families. And the second, which is closely linked to that, is to advance the science of how genetic disease is expressed and how we can treat it. And lastly, and this one often people don't think about, but it's so important, and that's to train the next generation to enter this exciting and busy field. Um, so we feel that is a real responsibility. We see tremendous uh, caliber trainees come here, and we want to make sure that we can infect them with our enthusiasm so that they want to go out and that they want to be the leaders for the next new discoveries and to take care of um, all these patients that we're seeing with HCM. Well, I love the idea of training the next generation. I look back to the 25 years that I've been doing what I do. And the first couple of years, we had like five programs that really understood HCM. And I went out looking for young blood, as I called it back then. Real, it's not that young anymore, that, that generation, but it's okay. But we needed new people. We needed new voices. We needed new experts, new points of view. And that's kind of how the center of excellence process that we work with developed. And I, I love the idea of training the next generation and hearing their new ideas and evolving with science and in every way, whether it's communication, genetics, you know, workflows, they, we all just keep evolving the minute we think we know it all, we should retire because we're done. Uh, we're constantly learning and teaching. So thank you for those really important points. 
Marshall, was, there was another point you wanted to make to us or something you wanted to say? Yes, at Benerville, we're pleased to be able to take care of the whole family, children, adults, you know, across generations. And we just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to join the family of 43 centers of excellence recognized by the HCMA. And thank you for your advocacy for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um, and the educational activities and value that you provide. Thank you so much. That was very kind. I, I know that um, life is busy and to take the time out to go through the process of the evaluation to become an HCMA recognized center of excellence, which I'm very happy to say has now been adopted in a way by the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology and the recent guidelines. Um, it's nice to know that 20 years of your work was finally looked at and said, yeah, we, there's a good way to treat HCM and this is how to do it. And they are comprehensive and primary programs. Um, and I do wanna take a moment to talk about the difference between a comprehensive and primary program as defined in the new guidelines. So primary means we're including people, I'm sorry, comprehensive means we're including people like Justin in the pediatric world, all the way to Lynn in the transplant world and adults and everything in between that could possibly happen. Myectomy, alcohol ablation, ICD implantation, lead removals, all of the things that you could possibly need to care for HCM under one roof or one family of roofs because children's hospitals tend to be separate buildings. So we have that as a comprehensive center. A primary center is still a wonderful option. And that is somebody that they may not do transplant, they may not do surgery themselves, and they refer to a trusted partner for those services, or they may not have pediatrics. So those are primary level programs. The imaging is good, but it's probably better at a comprehensive center because they probably have more equipment and more staff to do more you know, detailed imaging. So there's some differences there. But I think we can all agree that there is an important role for your community cardiologist. We need good communication between our center and our community cardiologist. It is a partnership. And I'm going to announce a new program here. You guys didn't know I was doing this. I didn't know I was doing it until I actually got there in the point. So the HCMA is happy to announce we're going to be launching a program called HCM Academy. Um, it is not a housed HCMA program. It is a partnership with a company called PCM Scientific. They are a medical education organization. They're located in the United Kingdom. We are um, working with them with a faculty of four to start off with. It was myself, Marty Marin, Anjali Owens, and John Lynn Jeffries. And we are the lead faculty. We have three regions that we're going to be launching in the next couple of weeks for medical education. Think of it as hub and spoke education modeling. So we have our centers of excellence. We need to get out to the community and really educate those community providers. So we've created a very comprehensive education system. And we're actually gonna be calling on the patient community to refer their physicians, their local physicians, cardiologists, GPs, gynecologists, orthopedics, anybody that's caring for you and your, your body that happens to have HCM, we wanna help teach them about HCM with free CME courses that are going to be mentored by thought leaders in HCM live session so that there can be interactive dialogue, not just a boring Zoom meeting that there's, you know, you're watching some slides. So HCM Academy will be launching soon. 
And once we get the three regions up and running, um, we will add hopefully more regions next year and maybe even some other countries if I get my way. So I encourage you all to have a good community cardiologist, refer that community cardiologist to HCM Academy, which will be up on the website in the next few days. And then align yourself with a center of excellence that can truly provide you with the comprehensive care that you and your family need and deserve. So on that note, um, I think we have explained the entire process here. And I thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you as part of our network. And thank you so much. And we are done here. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Heart. For more information on HCM, we encourage you to visit our website at 4hcm.org. Join us online for the conversation on our Facebook page or in our private group. Facebook page can be found at Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. And our Instagram handle is at 4HCM Warriors. That's the number 4HCM Warriors. Follow us on Twitter at 4HCM.org. For those members of the LinkedIn community, you may want to follow the conversation on the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association group. Join us today. To contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, you can call 973-983-7429. You can email us at support at 4hcm.org or visit us online at our website 4hcm.org and send us an email from there. The Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association is located in New Jersey and operates on East Coast time. We would like to thank our sponsors, Myocardia, Invitae, Boston Scientific, and Cytokinetics for their support of this program.